How are you doing? I don't mean that as a greeting. I mean it as a question for self-reflection. So go ahead, take a moment. How are you doing right now? It's been a long season of tension for all of us. Figuring out new rhythms with family, with kids and their school at home, with work, whether you're a part of the 30 plus million newly furloughed or unemployed or just struggling to figure out what work looks like in this new space. New rhythms of loneliness, wondering how much longer we'll be in this, how, how much longer until we get to see our grandkids or our parents, how much longer until we get to see friends that aren't on a screen. This season, it ebbs and flows between I'm fine and I just want to screen obscenities into the sky, doesn't it? One moment feeling like we're conquering the quarantine and the next we're just done with it. It's, it's such a roller coaster. There's a real mental and emotional trauma that we're all experiencing in this season. And really no one is immune. We're all just looking for a break, a real break. It's no wonder that the weird world of TikTok has taken off. I still don't get it. It's been eight weeks since our stay-at-home order, and 11 weeks since many of us here in Seattle started working from home, and, and yet it still feels like we're fighting against the wind and the waves, rowing a boat that just doesn't seem to want to move, and there's seemingly no end in sight. I think this is what Jesus' disciples were facing one evening as they stepped into the boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. They had just experienced this amazing moment, this feeding of the 5,000, this, this moment that really epitomized the heart of the kingdom. And I, and I love how Kristen put it on Friday on the blog, that the kingdom of heaven is like always having enough. And that was enough for the crowd to try and make Jesus king. I, I mean, if you've got a guy who's making sure that everyone has enough, not just of what they need, but of what they want, he's got my vote, right? This Jesus was all the things they'd hoped for, that they'd dreamed for, of, that they'd longed for. And the disciples had to feel like they'd hitched their horse to the right wagon, right? That, that they were following the right guy, this long-awaited Messiah. And now he was finally being made known to the masses and by the masses. And they wanted him to be their king. And, and the disciples were stoked. They were in the inner circle, the chosen few, standing ready to take positions of leadership in this new kingdom that, that was about to be unfurled. I mean, they'd been with him now for over two years, two years of commitment, of hoping and waiting and wondering. And here they were, finally ready to step up and watch the coronation of Jesus, to take their rightful mantle of honor in his administration. And then Jesus just vanished. He slipped away from the crowd and left everyone wondering where he went. And you can just see this newly fed crowd reaching a fever pitch, chanting, King, 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 King. Hey, where'd he go? And the disappointment fall across their face when they realize he wasn't there anymore, that, that he'd left the party, his own coronation. 
all of the things that they'd hoped in and for, for their country, for their people, for themselves, vanished. And, and you know the feeling, don't you? You remember when your chosen political candidate dropped out of the race and all of the hopes you had placed upon them and in them for yourself, for your family, for others, gone. And so you packed your bags and went home, just like the 12 disciples. They packed up their stuff and they, they got in their boat and they set course for home. Disappointed, disillusioned, depressed. And you have to wonder what they were thinking in this moment. Was it over? This movement that they'd been a part of for two years, was it done? Had, had Jesus ultimately rejected the mantle of leadership? Did he just bail on them? I mean, talk about a roller coaster. Now, I can imagine them sitting in the boat in silence, rowing home. So, some shaking their head in denial. It's fine. I'm fine. Uh, others screaming obscenities into the sky. Others talking with each other, reassuring themselves that he just needed another one of those famous Jesus breaks where he goes away to pray and sort things out. And they rode and rode and rode. I mean, I get that. Whenever I'm faced with disappointment or struggle or stress, I, I like to go out for a run, do, do something active, familiar, consistent, something that helps take my mind off of things and just be in the moment. And so they headed home, across the sea, at dark. I mean, why not? Now, the Sea of Galilee isn't really all that small. It's about seven miles wide, and it's built up some good old quarantine girth to its body. And oftentimes, the weathered patterns on the sea would shift radically, creating some crazy and sudden squalls, which is why during the dark of the night, they found themselves fighting against the wind, and the waves. The sea was angry that day, my friend. And as the waters grew rough and the wind grew stronger, as the disciples struggled to make ground fighting against the wind and the waves, three to four miles from shore, too far to swim back, something appeared in the distance, moving towards them. And I wonder who saw it first, right? Was it Judas or, or, or maybe Matthew, the tax collector? Now, Matthew's not a fisherman, not really a man of the sea, and, and so he's got this sort of death grip on the boat, right? Gazing into the distance, throwing up prayers, when, when off in the distance, he sees a glow, a light, approaching the boat. And he looks around to see if anyone else is seeing what he's seeing. And he grabs a handful of water to splash his face to make sure that he's awake and not seeing things. Man, I'd better not get seasick again. The last time these guys didn't let it down for weeks. Peter is the worst, always making that puke face. Next time, I'm just going to puke all over him. But wait, does James see it too? And all of a sudden, Judas pierces the night with a squeal as he scampers towards the front of the boat. Yo, 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 fellas, that's a ghost, y'all. Climbing over everyone, nearly shoving poor Andrew overboard. And they all look at what Judas is pointing at. What is that? I mean, some of these guys have been fishermen for a minute, but they've never seen anything like this. A figure, a person, walking? 
on water coming towards them. And of course, Matthew is a bit relieved. I knew I wasn't crazy or seasick, but, but there's this collective fear seizing them. And, and Peter just stands there in denial. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. And this ghost, this apparition, this, this figure, it starts to talk. Now, I'm not going to blame these guys, right? I treat them like they're dumb or crazy. It's not like I've ever seen someone walk on water, right? But, but here they are in this boat with the wind swirling and the waves crashing. And, and here's Jesus walking up to the boat on the water like it's no big deal. And now I've got to wonder, I, I mean, what does that even look like, right? Just think about the waves. Was Jesus climbing over these things? Because they weren't small, right? I mean, it was a storm. Was he doing parkour moves, just leaping and flipping over them? Did he get wet doing this? I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what all of this looked like which is probably why a lot of people try and explain this away. Like, like he was on some sort of sandbar. But there aren't really any sandbars in the Sea of Galilee three to four miles into the water. And if there were, how'd he get to that sandbar? But here he is, coming up to the boat, all nonchalant. What's up, fellas? Did you miss me? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's all good. It's all good. And the disciples? Uh, this... This is probably my favorite part of the story. After Jesus says to them, don't be afraid, the text reads, then they were willing to take him into the boat. Willing? Were they arguing about this? John, I swear, if you let that into this boat, I'm going to, I'm going to, well, I don't know what I'm going to do because I'm not getting into that water, but don't you test me right now. I mean, how long did they leave Jesus out there on the water while they bickered? Guys, it's me. I'm serious. Don't be afraid. Oh, it's just Jesus walking on water. No big deal. Let him into the boat. I mean, suspend your belief for a moment. Suspend all you know or think you know about Jesus and, and put yourself in that moment. Would you let him in the boat? I mean... You've been with Jesus for two years now, and you've seen some things. He did just feed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. and You've seen him make the lame walk and, and heal the sick. You've seen him do a lot of amazing miracles, and, and honestly, maybe you've gotten a bit complacent about them all. Uh, the miracles just aren't as miraculous as they used to be. They, they've become a bit routine. And despite all you've seen, You've never seen anything like this. Do you let him in the boat? And it's easy to say, yes, isn't it? Of course I'd let him in. I mean, why not? It's Jesus. But have you? 11 weeks of chaos, 11 weeks of wind and waves raging all around us, 11 weeks of struggle and frustration, of anger and pain, of turmoil and tension, just trying to figure it all out. And Jesus, standing outside of the boat. Really? You're going to allegorize this for me? Yeah, I am. Because I think it's true. 
we're 11 weeks into this mess. And I'm wondering, how have you seen God in all of this? That's not rhetorical. How have you seen God in all of this? I know. I know there are so many of us who feel alone or abandoned, who have wrestled to find God in this, but just come up short. And, and you just feel alone. And so I want you to hear this. You are not alone. And sure, you might chuckle, you might roll your eyes. So I'm going to say it again. You are not alone. You are not alone. You're not. You're not alone. God is here. God is present. He's standing right outside of your boat looking for your gaze, searching for ways to get your attention, to connect with your eyes, to stare deep within your soul and say, you are not alone. I am here. I love how the Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel put it so succinctly. Man is not alone. God is ever in search of him. Or how Francis Thompson poetically referred to Jesus as the hound of heaven. He's looking for you in the midst of this crisis. He's trying to catch your attention in the middle of this storm, standing outside of the boat, waving and walking telling us not to be afraid. I, I think of the eight miracles in the book of John, of, of all of the miracles that we're looking at in this series. This one's my favorite. And it's not because of the miraculous nature of Jesus walking on water and all of the fascinating and theological meanings that occur here. It, it's my favorite because it's the most pastoral. It's the moment when Jesus looks at his friends and says, don't be afraid, I'm here, I'm here. You see, here in this moment, this is the real sign of life. It's Jesus. In the midst of our profound loss of work, of friendships and relationships, of safety, security, normalcy, in the midst of our disappointment, Disappointment that we're still stuck in this space. Disappointment that there's still no end in sight. Disappointment with our leaders. In the midst of our pain and our turmoil and our suffering, in the midst of the mental and emotional trauma, the roller coaster of this life as it ebbs and flows, the hound of heaven stands before us and says, Don't be afraid. I'm here. Are you willing to let him in the boat? And I know, I know it's not easy. It, it, it seems a little too surreal or amorphous, intangible or metaphorical. And I get it, we're not in a literal boat. We don't get to put our own two eyes on Jesus like the disciples did. And so it makes it all is so much harder for our minds to grasp and comprehend what's, what's actually happening. 
And, and I wish that I had a simple answer for you or a, a five-step process. I, I wish that I could give you a few words or a story that would simply crystallize it all for you. That you could see the beauty of the Jesus who is sitting next to you. That you could hear the tenderness of his voice. Don't be afraid. I'm here. But I can't. I can only offer you my story, my experience, and the stories and the experiences of our community, the, the people who make up this unique and beautiful church called United, to invite you into this space, into a deeper and more profound relationship with one another and, and ultimately with God, where together we can process and experience the God who is here in the midst of our turmoil, the God who is walking alongside of us, even when we don't recognize him. And so I'm inviting you here and now to, to step into this space, to connect on a deeper level than just watching a live stream. And while it might feel a little clunky as we navigate this next normal, I want you to go to unitedchurch.live and click the check-in button. Connect with us. Take this online relationship to the next phase, or, or perhaps go a step further and click the connect with a pastor button so that we can talk more and process together this Jesus who is here. Yes, I am asking you to step through the fourth wall, to turn this into something real, something tangible, into a relationship with a people who are all in process, who are all discovering more and more about who this Jesus is. So step into this boat with us. You don't have to do this alone. And together, let us hear the voice of him who says, don't be afraid, I'm here.